This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. NetScout's latest threat intelligence report is hot off the press. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Richard Hummel, Manager of Threat Research at NetScout. Welcome, Richard. Thank you for having me, Tommy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great having you, of course. Tell us, what does NetScout do and what is your role there? So NetScout, let's, uh, let's start with our catchphrase first. NetScout is guardians of the connected world. Uh, and that's essentially what we do. Our whole purpose as a company is to ensure the availability, the connectivity of our customers. We have a lot of internet service providers. We do a lot of things with enterprises, but our primary stake in life is making sure that you have connection to the internet. It doesn't go down. Attacks across the world don't impact that. And that's really kind of our whole purpose here is to be those guardians. And Acer takes that another step. Um, so as the Acer research manager, we're looking at those threats as they occur, as they happen, looking forward, what, what do we expect adversaries to do? And that's really what we focus on, especially as what we're going to discuss today with the threat intelligence report, is we want to take the knowledge that we gain, the visibility, the unique posture we have partnering with all these internet service providers to bring that intelligence back to the entire, entire globe, really. We want to let you know what adversaries are doing. And we want to divulge that information. And so here we are. As you mentioned, NetScout just released its latest threat intelligence report. Why do you assert that the pandemic triggered an expansion of attacker innovation? So there's a couple of very clear markers here. And this is, so this is our second report now since COVID actually happened. And if you go back to the previous one, you see a very marked increase. I, I mean, almost on the day that the pandemic was officially announced in mid-March, you saw a massive uh, surge in DDoS attacks. And that surge didn't stop. It continued well into 2021. In fact, January and February of this year alone are two of the highest, um, I guess, grossing attack counts that we have seen in a DDoS landscape ever. And so we're talking 930,000 attacks in a singular month. I mean, that's just insane and unprecedented. And that what happened here is you basically forced the entire workforce, everybody that used to go to enterprises, uh, all of the educational institutions went remote. And so now you have this massively expanded footprint that adversaries can go after. And so not only is it expanded, you also have all of these people that used to be behind corporate firewalls, used to be behind university enterprise grade type firewalls and security postures, basically inside the castle is what we like to say. They're now all outside the castle and they have home networks, they have home routers, they probably don't have firewalls, who knows how many IoT devices they have in their local network that an adversary can go after. And so you, you have this just kind of unprecedented movement where the entire globe went digital. And so, yeah, you have this opportunity that adversaries are absolutely going to take advantage of. Tell us about the terabit class attacks. So one of the things that we've seen really over the past several years is it used to be every time a new terabit you know, type of attack came out, oh man, it's the largest attack we've ever seen. Um, and go all the way back to 2016, the dying DNS attacks, right? 
the largest attack at the time was what, 600, 700 gigabits per second. And that was like the biggest attack we've seen. Uh, fast forward, uh, last year was 1.7 terabit per second. And then you have, I think it was Google or somebody that worked with Google that announced some 2.3 terabit per second attack. Um, and so you're seeing more and more of these really large attacks and they're almost getting to the point where they're commonplace. And we have, we have four of them in a threat intelligence report that we've listed, but it's by no means exhaustive. We chose four of them because they were very high fidelity. We had full visibility on these attacks and we knew for certain that those were over a terabit. Now, we had at least a dozen that we were sifting through just in the first half of 2021. And so they're getting more commonplace, but what's really interesting about these very large attacks is that in spite of the fact that they make media attention all the time, they're almost no impact anymore because these really large attacks are gonna take advantage of something that we have been defending against for many, many years. And often they're single vectors or dual vectors and they're vectors that adversaries have been using for five, six, seven years. So we know how to defend these. And most of the time when these traverse internet service provider networks or they're going after certain organizations, these organizations are protected. They have mitigations protections in place. And because it's such a common attack, we're able to mitigate that pretty quickly. Now that's not to say there isn't any damage because by nature of this really large attack, it means that it's traversing a lot of network space. So all of that transit that happens, it is saturating network pipes somewhere. So there might be some latency here and there. You might have intermittent one, two minute downtimes here and there, but it's not taking things off for hours at a time. It's not knocking a company off for a day. Um, it's, let's go back to last year. We saw Lazarus Barramada, which is an extortion gang, go after the New Zealand Stock Exchange. And then they, they took that down. And then they go after their upstream ISP. They took that down. That was like four days of DDoS impacting this organization. That's rare. It's rare to see that kind of concerted effort. So yes, there's a lot of terabit per second attacks out there, but I'd almost wager that that's not as scary to me today as innovation and adaptive DDoS attacks that we're seeing in other places. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Ransomware is another hot cybersecurity topic. Of course. What does the report reveal? So with ransomware, one of the things here at NetScout is we don't necessarily focus explicitly on ransomware, but what we are seeing is a phenomenon where more and more DDoS adversaries and ransomware gangs are merging together. Or wh whether that's a ransomware gang saying, hey, we should you know, add DDoS to our portfolio, or it's kind of a marriage of two different ones. In fact, just this morning, I was reading a link where the, uh, the operators or the authors, or whoever they are of the LockBit ransomware posted on their form and say, hey, can the owner of this new DDoS botnet contact us? And so you see these people coming together and offering multiple types of attack methodologies. And so let's go back to 2013 era. You had something called Game Over Zeus, which is a very popular banking malware at the time. And then you had CryptoLocker, which was kind of the, the breakthrough of ransomware operators. Ransomware goes all the way back to 1989, but CryptoLocker was really kind of the first thing that had asynchronous encryption and you had your encryption keys stored remotely and securely. It was using Bitcoin to do the payment. So you had anonymization. So you had this marriage. And so what, what we saw was the Game Over Zeus malware would deploy your first round of infections, right? They would steal money. They would compromise your system. They would steal data. 
And then as a last ditch effort, after they've already emptied your bank account, to deploy ransomware, and now they'll demand further payment from you. And so that was a double extortion. And we've seen that double extortion go on for quite a while now. But move forward now, in the past year, we've seen the triple extortion. So you have the initial compromise where they're encrypting your stuff with ransomware. Then they steal your data and say, if you don't pay us to decrypt your files, we're going to blackmail you with this data, or we're going to sell it to an interested party. Well, that's not enough. More and more people are not paying because people like me say, don't pay the ransomware. And so we see this when our adversaries are like, well, what are we going to do to incentivize? What other lever can we pull? Well, let's enter DDoS. So it's not enough that we encrypted your files. It's not enough that we stole your data. Let's knock your networks offline as well. And so now you have this added DDoS extortion um, leverage that they can have. And so this is what we're seeing in the ransomware space. We're seeing more and more of these guys kind of adding it to the toolkit, dark side. I'm sure you know who Darkseid is because they took out the Colonial Pipeline. And, well, not necessarily Colonial Pipeline, but their supplier of their digital uh, services. Um, and it shut down gas to the Eastern Seaboard. Crazy, right? Well, Darkseid started offering DDoS April 24th. And so they were actually offering DDoS as a capability before the Colonial Pipeline incident. And I have worked with some of my colleagues in, in the, the community and we've verified on a couple of occasions that we're almost certain that DDoS was employed with DarkSide ransomware. And so you see more and more people using this kind of tactic. And so that's what we're seeing kind of in the ransomware space from a NetScout perspective. So then what are some measures that the most successful attack survivors adopted to help prevent or at least mitigate attacks? So... One of the key things, whether it's ransomware or it's DDoS, um, the one thing that we tell everybody to survive these attacks is preparation. Preparation really is the difference maker. Most of the time when you get uh, an organization that gets taken offline from DDoS, it's mostly because they're caught flat-footed or they don't have some sort of DDoS mitigation and protection services in place, or the adversary figured out a novel way to get at them. So instead of maybe going after the direct organization, they went after the VPN concentrators. And maybe before VPN concentrators weren't a huge thing, but we're in COVID, everybody's using a VPN to get into the organization now, right? So now that's an, uh, an extra kind of security link that needs to be secured and maybe people weren't ready for that. Uh, the Lazarus Barramada guys, we saw them actually explicitly go after VPN concentrators. So they would scan a network, they would look at their IP addresses, they would have reversed those and figure out, hey, this says vpn.organization.com, this must be their VPN connection, let me take it offline. And so they would go after that. And so to me, that tells me that organization probably wasn't prepared. If they were, they would have practiced more OPSEC. Why would you name anything a VPN concentrator as vpn.organization.com, right? Just obscure it some, somehow. Um, and so preparation is key for both of these really, right? Ransomware still gets in via RDP brute forcing, Telnet brute forcing, SSH brute forcing. They're using known exploits that have been around for five or six years and they're still working. And so making sure that you're patching, you're securing, you're, you're following best current practices for DDoS. And that's going to get you 80% of the way to stopping both these kind of threats. The other 20%, you're always going to have to kind of pivot and move as the landscape changes and ad adversaries get more innovative with their attacks. But that 80%, absolutely, you can take care of by preparing and making sure that you have mitigations in place for DDoS, making sure that you're patching and updating your security posture. All right, Richard, where can we find our own copy of the report? So netscout.com slash threat report. 
Um, and it's live as of 9 a.m. this morning. So please feel free to get that. Um, it's actually, it's fully live and interactive. So it's not just, uh, you're gonna read through a bunch of text. You can actually get in there and manipulate some of the graphics and the charts. You can look at different month over month type things. Um, so please get in there, play around. There's more assets. There's a more resources link. You can get country pages. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff in there. I definitely encourage you to look at it. If, if that's not your forte, uh, you can also download a PDF as well. Um, so that's the place to go. Richard Hummel, Manager of Threat Research at NetScout. Thanks again for joining us, Richard. And if somebody wants to follow you, maybe they want to tap your brain, how can they do that? Um, so I've got a Twitter handle at Malware Analyzer. And then same thing for LinkedIn, if anybody wanted to follow me there. Um, my team actually here at NetScout actually has our own handle called Acert Research. So you can get that as well. Love it. Thanks again, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on all the major podcast platforms under the Tanya Hall Innovation Show or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.